Welcome to the uh, podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This is Paul Nichols, the investor coach, pulling back the curtain on the financial services industry and exposing the truth about money and investing. I hope this finds you well today. I am certainly doing well. Wanted to give you a market update and go over a couple things, uh, a couple thoughts that I thought I would share with you. Uh, the market has been incredibly volatile uh, the last few months, including December. Uh, in fact, let me go over a couple facts there. Uh, we did a review at the end of January, and this would be toward the end of this would be the end of February, actually, but uh, beginning of March, I should say. Uh, but I thought it would be interesting to highlight some of what we ran into last year, uh, which is interesting. Uh, after reaching all-time highs back in September, the S&P 500, which would be U.S. large companies predominantly, declined 13.5% between October 1st and December 31st. Small stocks, uh, comparatively, uh, were hit pretty hard. They were down about 20% for the quarter, giving up uh, 12% uh, almost in December alone. Uh, December was, was rough. Uh, was, uh, it's the worst December we've ever had uh, in the market as far as when they've tracked Decembers. Um, and then international stocks did not fare well at all. Uh, mid-cap international fell by 12%. The worst of all was small international. Uh, that was uh, 16% down for the year. So we had a decent uh, 20, well, let me back up, a very rocky 2018 uh, that was looking fairly hopeful toward the end, uh, but then just took a, a, a cliff dive, if you will. Um, that was attributed predominantly to uh, trade deals, uh, mostly political things, shut down, etc. Uh, it's always the market anticipating what's going to happen in the future. You know, they're normally looking at the market six months down the road. This is why we are constantly reinforcing uh, the basic tenets of sound academic investing. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, we sound like a broken record. Uh, but I have found sometimes uh, it's okay to be a broken record when you're on the right track, you know. Um, and it's interesting because I investing is relatively simple to understand intellectually, much more difficult to incorporate, uh, and even more difficult uh, in the structure of the marketplace within the retail nature and transactional nature of the marketplace. Uh, really difficult to incorporate, even for somebody who really understands how to do it in the retail environment, it's almost impossible to pull off without some erroneous cost or fee or excessive trading or market timing or stock picking eroding away somewhat the market return that people should be getting. In other words, people should be getting X market return and we find pretty consistently upon review that uh, they're off the market by a point or two uh, 1% or 2%, 3%, which can be 4 or 5%. Uh, on average, according to Dalbar, most equity investors, those in the stock market, are, are getting far below a reasonable market return and what the return of the market actually has been. And it's primarily due to the things I had mentioned, the very retail nature of investing. So this is why we're constantly pounding on uh, the rules of investing, which are very simply own equities. Those would be stocks. Stocks would be uh, shares of ownership in companies around the world, all areas of the world. Diversify, which would be uh, owning all the companies and all the areas of the world that would be worthy of owning. Uh, and then the third would be rebalancing. So own equities, diversify, rebalance. Now, let me segue for a moment and share with you why is it that it can be looked at that is investing with such a simple 
simple mindset on equities diversify and rebalance. Well, ladies and gentlemen, when you start to understand the true essence of how wealth is created, uh, and in my neophyte uh, mind, let me try to break that down for you in simple terms, how wealth is created. Wealth is created through products, sales, something, some, some, some volume that needs to be created. It could be done with intellectual property, but wealth is created through solving problems and creating through the mother uh, uh, being the, the uh, uh, necessity, the mother of invention, um, creating products, systems, processes that people buy or take advantage of. That's how wealth is created. Uh, this is why uh, Apple's done very well, where the BlackBerry fell to the wayside because more people liked the innovation of the Apple and would purchase that. So supply and demand, in effect, does uh, affect that. In fact, it's all about that. So when you understand that wealth is created because of new innovation, new technological advancements, that coupled with the fact that you can probably look around where you are at this moment and see some product, some innovation, something that we probably couldn't have lived without 10 years ago that you have in your midst today. That's new wealth that's created. It's being created all over the place. So uh, uh, as a form of a segue, once we understand how wealth is created and the nature of that being innovation uh, and harness productivity, that is you look around uh, the world, around your community, and all these folks getting up and going to work, and we're all doing our individual separate things. You know, there's so much order in such a chaotic world uh, because self Preservation dictates that we do those things in an orderly fashion. And, and people smarter than me, uh, maybe you, have figured out how, how to harness the productivity ideas and innovation of these people uh, so that products are created and bought and sold. And that's well wealth is created. It's not some magical out of thin air. Uh, the market isn't some, um, um, you know, conspiracy theory run by a few wealthy people that uh, uh, allows all the little people to get a little piece now and then and all the craziness you hear. It's very simple. Own equities, diversify, rebalance. By owning equities, you own stock in all the companies around the world where all this innovation and, and, and technological advancements and new products come from. Uh, and of course, at the same time, when you when you own and diversify and own uh, these companies all around the world, you're occasionally going to get a company that doesn't do that well. Uh, but when you're looking at you know thousands, tens of thousands of companies, we need to understand own equities. Diversify. That means all around the world, umbrellas and suntan lotion. We never know what's going to be up, when it's going to be up. Anyone that has any insight and tries to impart that to you is doing it for one of two reasons devious, some profitability, or just ignorance, okay? That's just the reality. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the market moving forward. With supercomputers, they still haven't been able to beat the market. And with robo-investing, they've just created more volatility uh, in the market because of the massive trades that are triggered by computer algorithms, etc., with all that being said, I'm trying to offer a very simple concept of encouragement through the idea that innovation and how wealth is created. And when you own equities and you diversify and you rebalance, you're going to capture that wealth. The stock market is the best wealth creating tool known to man. There's nothing that's been close to that. This is from someone who was not always a proponent of the market and has seen the, the inner workings of it, both dirty and all the, all the stuff and how it works, you know, behind the scenes, in the, in the closed rooms. And I'll tell you that uh, uh, for those people that simply understand this concept and can employ it, uh, that's where, again, it's, it's easier to understand but harder to employ. It gets difficult. So with a little bit of encouragement, I want to do the market update. And with this underlying kind of theme, we all love volatility when it's up, okay? <laughs> when it's up. We don't like volatility when it's down. And of course, I just mentioned last year and some of those returns. Let's talk about this year. 
year-to-date so far, um, as of March 5th, this is the market update, we are looking at the S&P 500, that would be U.S. large companies, as really the laggard in the entire market so far this year at only 3.7% to the positive. When we look at the Russell 1000 value, this is an index that measures value companies, large value companies in the U.S., as the S&P does in the U.S. as well. It's up 11%. So U.S. large is up. Growth companies almost four, uh, where value companies are up uh, 11 and a half, just about. Russell 2000, it looks at small and micro companies. These companies, growth companies, 17%. Wow, what an, what a difference. We're looking at basically, um, we're looking at like a 30% inversion in three months. Isn't that incredible? See, when we're employing the proper tenets of investing, own equities, diversify, rebalance, rebalancing would have taken place at the end of last year based on targets versus actuals and what had happened. So the actuality of what happened, the, the reality of what happened was we were buying, taking cash off the table and buying, and, and anyone that is who's investing properly would have been buying a lot of those stocks at the end of the year with cash out of the portfolio and of course would be rewarded quite handsomely and it's not a matter of being smarter than the average bear it's just a matter of employing three simple scientifically based rules and the market goes up and it goes down we love volatility when it's up and we love it when it does go down and it rebounds back like it always has and hits new highs. Why does it hit new highs? Because of the way wealth is created. And once you understand the simplicity of that, ladies and gentlemen, there should be no stress related to the marketplace. It is all noise. According to Nobel laureates in economics, they say that the news that we hear that affects the market, volatility on a daily basis up and down, is nothing more than noise in the long term. Short term, sure, it affects market movements, but not for those people that react don't react to it. Okay, you don't react to it. You just come in after all the reaction has taken place and then adjust accordingly. So in the U.S., it's smoking, absolutely smoking. The market's doing, uh, it's doing yearly, wonderful year returns in the first couple months. Now, again, it's the first quarter. Uh, you never know how it's going to go. Let's go to international. International's doing very, very well, uh, whether it's developed, uh, uh, emerging, it's respectively all about the same, 9, 9, 9, 7, 11%. Um, so we're, we're seeing very nice returns internationally. So across the board, double digits uh, in the U.S., just shy of U.S. large, and uh, internationally, just a hair off double digits. So the market is doing great. And of course, uh, again, we love volatility, especially when it's up. And when it's down, we have to recognize that and, and, and just ground ourselves mentally and understand, okay, we don't know how long it's going to last, but uh, we need to employ these rules uh, as uncomfortable as they may be emotionally. Not always easy to take cash off the table and buy the market uh, when it's in the red, but that's exactly what one needs to do in a very scientific and um, methodical way. I'm going to segue from that off the market and share a little nugget with you, uh, an observation that I've made in our practice, uh, Financial Abundance, a registered investment advisory firm uh, in Pennsylvania, located in State College, Happy Valley, where Penn State resides, beautiful community, wonderful place to live and work. Uh, and I will tell you, my observation of having uh, several hundred clients and uh, uh, quite a quite 
quite a bit of money that uh, uh, that we impart and help take care of and manage for these folks and educate them about. Uh, I have a lot of cl- folks on a regular basis, not a lot, I should say, but as a group, a lot. Uh, but over the last several years, I've noticed this continued observation. People will retire, and we live in Pennsylvania. It's cold up here uh, in the wintertime, so it's not uncommon for people to want to head south. Uh, snowbirds uh, is what they call them, I believe. Uh, out west, I noticed people head to Arizona. Out east, we, we kind of head to Florida. South Carolina, North Carolina, that's become more popular. But the question that I'm often posed uh, as a fiduciary advisor from clients as they retire and they're kind of making that transition and income's being turned on and so on and so forth, is they often come to me with this, I want to buy a second home. I want to live by my kids. I want to whatever. And that's certainly understandable. Isn't it wonderful uh, to have that opportunity and to be able to transition into retirement? I would encourage you to focus on those things. Those things can be a lot of fun. But I often caution people uh, from my own experience personally and observing other people that uh, maybe owning right away isn't the smartest play. Uh, Although some people have a tough time uh, with not owning and the cost, but they don't sometimes realize the cost overall if they decide not to stick to that original assumption and play it out. For example, it's not uncommon for us to see people that'll go buy a second home by their kids and maybe the kids end up relocating. Uh, Or uh, they get to a community and they go, geez, you know, uh, we like this community, but we, the other side of town would be better. Or uh, we come down and it's not what we thought. Uh, I often refer this uh, as getting into the ether. And it's very easy to get into the ether and we all do it. It's a, it's a, just a nor- normal human condition. We get excited about the future and start to deal with the different challenges and so on. And I, I encourage people to look at it this way. Look, if you feel that you might want to have a second home and you're blessed to be in a position financially to, to perhaps pull that off, um, and more people are than you would think if they just got some coaching on how to look at money and the ways to approach it. But anyway, uh, if you're going to look at that, I would encourage you to look at renting uh, for a year. And and here's why, because of what I just mentioned, but here's why you would look at renting. Because if you think about it, the reason that there's so many rentals through these Airbnbs and VRBO, which are different websites that offer this, is because a lot of people bought second homes and they're not using them. So now they're renting them. Uh, And people think that, well, no, it's a good investment uh, to buy a place. We might use it some of the time, but it'll pay for itself. Well, that may or may not be the case. I will tell you that it is very rare, unless you're a professional in the real estate industry. And even then, when all is said and done, to see more than a 5% yield on investment real estate um, or having money tied up in a home that's paid off. So that's a whole other segue to conversation I'm not going to get into other than to let me just make this observation. If you think about what it would cost to borrow money, make a transition, get into a second home, get locked into it, taxes, maintenance, closing costs, all the different things involved with that. You might look at renting, even though it might be money out the window, so to speak, but it's still... Um, uh, uh, it wouldn't be any more than you would have invested otherwise. And, you know, and it takes a while to catch up on all those costs from a return perspective. Uh, it would be better to rent for six months, a year, or month by month, or even a year and say, you know what? This definitely is the place we like, but I'm sure glad we did this because let's go over here. And also, you start to get to know the town better and you might find deals, you network, you meet people. Uh, and there's a strong possibility through that you may even save that much money uh, by waiting and finding a better deal than reacting initially. So let me just offer that up as, an, as a food for thought for those of you that might be getting to that wonderful uh, point in your life where you're starting to look at it. And many people look, might look at that prior to retirement. 
Um, my wife and I have talked about it. We, we have the wherewithal. I would be hard-pressed to ever buy a place. I don't know that you could make an argument for me uh, to do that uh, when, it, when I think just renting would be, uh, would be so much smarter. And when I look at the numbers, it certainly, even when I look at the numbers, you would be very, very hard-pressed, and I challenge you to make a case um, uh, versus the case I would make to you in that area. But uh, food for thought. It's, uh, it's about liquidity, ladies and gentlemen. It's about options, okay? Um, and we want to remain as liquid as we can. And, and when we tie money up here and there, uh, we got to be careful. And we've got to be very careful just to file it away. And, oh, it's an investment category in our brain. Oftentimes, it's not that, okay? It's, it's an expense. Um, so, food for thought. If you'd like to learn more about that or any other things related to finance, please uh, check out our website, faicoach.com, faicoach.com, uh, or go ahead and give our office a call, 814-867-5745, 814-867-5745. My name is Paul Nichols, the Investor Coach. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day, and we'll look forward to talking to you down the road. Take care.